All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the Daily Faceoff Show, your everyday source for the latest news with top-notch insight and analysis. Live every weekday at noon Eastern. What's up, everybody? It's a Wednesday, May 4th edition of the Daily Faceoff Show. We're streaming live on dailyfaceoff.com as well as Twitter and YouTube. He is former NHL netminder Mike McKenna, and this is day three of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Mike, my question for you is, what did you have for dinner last night? Well, it wasn't spicy pork and broccoli. I had pork tamales, actually. So kind of similar. I didn't have as good of a vegetable as King Domingue, Louis Domingue, goaltender of the Pittsburgh Penguins. But I wanted to give a special shout to all our Star Wars fans out there. May the 4th be with you. I had a fan give me this shirt in Portland, Maine years ago, and I still wear it with pride. So let's giddy up here, man. Plenty to talk about, Frank. (laughs) I was wondering why you're pointing a sword at me, and then I realized it was a lightsaber, and then I was like, oh, may the 4th be with you. I have a confession to make. Um, I have never seen one minute of any Star Wars movie ever. Woof. Oh, I can't believe it. You know, this used to light up, but my kids have hit each other with it too many times. So it's just a problem. I don't feel like I'm missing out. Oh, you are. I listen, I'm I'm not much for that. Like, I don't know. That that it's fine, fond memories, man. I think Empire Strikes Back might have been the first like adult movie I ever saw. So I, I love the whole Star Wars series, with the exception of when it got really weird in the nineties and they brought it back and Jar Jar Banks and all that. Anyway, we're we're here to talk hockey, Frank. Why don't we yeah. do that? Let's throw two minutes and 30 seconds up on the clock and let's drop the puck with Louis Domingue and eating spicy pork and broccoli between the first and second overtimes at Madison Square Garden, then coming in and absolutely saving the Pittsburgh Penguins bacon. You see this tweet from Alan Walsh, Domingue's agent. All hail King Louis today for the Pittsburgh Penguins the first goaltender in NHL history to enter a game in the second overtime or later 
And pretty unbelievable, Mike. He comes in 17 saves on 17 shots for the Penguins' third goaltender. Jari, of course, is out to start the series. Casey DeSmith comes in, has to leave. And there's no chance that Louis Domingue was sitting there actually in the tunnel, not even on the bench, thinking that he was going to be used in game one. That's a place that's kind of tough when you're backing up, when you're an MSG, because you're in the corner, you're not really attached to the game. And Louis even said afterwards that when the referees came over, one of them was Freddie LeCruyer, who also happens to be French speaking, just like Louis. He thought he was playing a joke on him, saying he was going in the game. Sure enough, goes to the bench, puts his helmet on and pitches a shutout, man. 17 for 17. Uh, and, and I think what was nice for Louis coming off the bench like that is that First couple shots, pretty simple to the chest. Then it kind of progressively ramped up a bit to where he got comfortable in the game. But I mean, Frank, I, I thought Pittsburgh was the better team in this game by a decent amount. Shostjurkin had to make 79 saves uh, on four, on 83 shots. And, you know, especially after the Rangers got out to the lead, Pittsburgh came back strong in that second period, 25, 23 shots on goal. And you could see the leadership take over. Gensel, Rust. Crosby, that top line, so good for the Penguins. They gave it heavy to the Rangers, and before you knew it, man, we're in OT for that big thriller. Igor Shostorkin, as you mentioned, he had 79 saves on 83 shots, the second most saves ever for a netminder in Stanley Cup playoff history, only to Eunice Corpusallo. Evgeny Malkin scoring the winner. He's the hero in the sixth period. Um, Mike, so let me ask you this. What did you make of the goaltender interference challenge late in regulation that actually ended up sending this game to overtime? Yeah, I thought it was the right call. I thought it was pretty clear to me. I wasn't surprised that uh, head coach Mike Sullivan challenged it right away. The, the, the argument is always that, well, he got pushed into the goaltender. Well, I don't think that's the case. As he's driving the net, his feet are angled towards Casey DeSmith, and he makes clear contact with him regardless of what may have happened with the defensive front of the net. So to me, this was a clear-cut case of goalie interference. It happened in the blue paint. DeSmith trying to make a save. He gets taken out of it. So I had no problems. I thought it was the right call. Good job. I wholly disagree with you here. If you take that... What? That if you take that sequence back just a few frames, there's actually the clear nudge from Brian Dumoulin that pushes him in that direction. Maybe his feet are angled that way, but it's the contact to me that came from Dumoulin. Uh, really interesting comments from Gerard Gallant after the game saying, look, I just figured at that point it was going against us, a 3-3 game. The referees don't want to decide it. The NHL situation room doesn't want to decide it. We're going to go to overtime and let the players decide who wins. I don't know that anyone foresaw it going that deep. You saw the Rangers guys at the end. Some of them are Temi Panarin missing uh, a one-time opportunity late in the third. Uh, overtime there, you're thinking, okay, is there any chance that uh, the Rangers have anything left in the tank? Quickly, before we move on, I want to ask you this. Tristan Jari is trying to make his way back. I think he's probably sometime next week that he can realistically get on the ice. If Casey DeSmith is out, which is a possibility, he's considered day-to-day -day by the Penguins for Game 2, what does it do to the series if Louis Domingue is in net starting Game 2 for the Pens? I don't see it changing anything because Louis has a ton of experience, 142 NHL games during the regular season. Yeah, this is his first playoff, but he's been there before. He's done that. And realistically, I don't think there's much of a delta between him and Casey DeSmith. Domingue had really played a couple of really good games for the Penguins this year. I think they're in pretty good hands. I'm sure they'd love to have Jari back, but 
Look at what Deming did this year, even in the American League. 10-9-4 with a 9-2-4 save percentage. He's had a solid season. He's riding a pretty good wave. And I mean, Frank, his culinary choices are, are top notch. So, you know, who's to argue with it? Yeah, you're a foodie, Mike. Um, you see the spicy pork here. It now supplants Phil Kessel and the hot dogs as the most interesting <laughs> postseason meal of choice in Penguins franchise history. Let's talk about a true South Florida stunner in game one. Mike, the Florida Panthers entered game one with a 39-0 and record when leading this season after two periods. The Washington Capitals end up rallying back uh, to win game one. And my question to you is this, is it one game or is this a statement made by the Washington Capitals? Well, I think it's a bit of both, but I think more than anything, it's just one game. Uh, I When I watched, I thought that the Capitals were harder on pucks than Florida. They forced the issue. Uh, the Capitals created a lot of turnovers. And if you look at the heaviness with which they played, especially considering Tom Wilson left the game early, I thought Washington was able to play more of that bullying role. I mean, Anthony Mantha had 10 hits, Frank. Like, that's a lot for anybody and a big body like him that's punishing. So... I, I think realistically, five on five, this was a pretty close game. But Florida gave Washington a lot of energy by giving them power plays. And that's really where I think that Washington drew it from. You know, they score right off the bat on the power play with Wilson. But even from there, when they didn't score, it got them some momentum. So I thought the Panthers were lucky to get out of the first period one to one. And then for them to blow a 2-1 lead was pretty surprising. But it's playoff hockey. This is a little bit different than what we've seen before. And really, Frank, that third line of, of Florida had a tough game. Marchment, Lindell, Reinhardt, usually they're pretty strong defensively, and that wasn't there last night. So I would expect Florida to definitely be better in the next game. But Washington was good, man. I was impressed. They're not going to be rattled. I said that to you uh, on Tuesday in our show, just thinking, look, if there's one team that has an opportunity to take a series deep, it's the Caps drawing on that 2018 Stanley Cup playoff experience. Now, let me throw this at you. If you take a look at the last five President's Trophy winners that have lost game one, four of those five have ended up losing the first round series. Most recently, the Tampa Bay Lightning, as you see in 2019, slept swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets, but you don't have to go back very far in NHL history. This is only since 2009. What happens with the Panthers? The Cats begin to smell themselves a little bit, Mike, and you look at the comments from someone like Sam Bennett after the game. It was almost like he had to convince himself that what he was saying was true when he was saying, we're not going to panic here. It's a long series. I don't know that anyone really expected it to be a really long series heading into the fact. Yeah, Bennett's eyes were moving around pretty quick, you know. You wonder if that's a little poker tell that there's some nervousness there. And, you know, even Andrew Burnett, head coach of the Panthers, said, well, this is good for us. Uh, no, you're down one nothing in a series. This isn't good for you. You'd want to be up in the series, man. But I appreciate what he's saying, though, in that Florida did need to go through some adversity if they're going to win everything. I just don't think it needed to happen in game one, Frank, yeah. because now for a team that doesn't have a ton of experience – as a group in playoffs beyond last year, they're going to start feeling it in that locker room. Yeah, no playoff success whatsoever to draw on in Florida Panthers history. 
Daryl Sutter, Sutter, Mike said before, you know, a long time ago, maybe two, three months ago, whoever plays the Colorado Avalanche in the first round, it will just be a waste of eight days. I think we all kind of laughed. He continued to build up the Colorado Avalanche and some other teams in the Pacific Division as well, saying, you know, teams like the Vegas Golden Knights and some of the other teams, the Oilers are much better than the Flames building other teams up, sort of, you know, keeping his team humble and hungry. And in this case, you saw the Nashville Predators get their doors blown off against the Abs in game one, five, nothing in the first 15 minutes of that game. Not surprisingly, in terms of how chippy it got over the last couple periods with a lead like that, Nathan McKinnon doing Nathan McKinnon like things. I've really never seen a player in NHL history be able to transcend himself when it comes to the playoffs. Certainly no slouch in the regular season takes his game to the next level in the playoffs he adds two goals and one assist Kale McCarr had a highlight real goal as well Mike is this going to be a waste of eight days is there any chance that the Nashville Predators can get themselves back into this series there's no chance the Predators win this series and I hate saying that because I like everything about the Predators the culture that they've built the way they play but boy it is just so different without Soros, it feels like. And that's not blaming this game on David Riddish, man. Like, it just, from the start of it, went absolutely the wrong direction for the Nashville Predators. I mean, did you need some saves? Of course you need some saves. But, man, when you give the Colorado Avalanche a power play in the first two minutes of the game and you let McKinnon stride on in, what are you, what chance are you giving yourselves? What chance are you giving your goaltender there? You're not giving him a very good one. And I'm watching this thing and going three nothing after eight. Oh boy, this is exactly what we expected. Um, Ingram came in, played pretty well. I don't know who's going to start game two for this club. Uh, Got to be Ingram. I think the biggest. I after something like that, and after Riddick's down the way he played down the stretch. I don't see why you don't go to Ingram to just try to get the team going because they didn't come out strong. They got clobbered in the first. And if there's anything that the Preds can hang their hat on, Frank, five on five, they actually weren't terrible. They weren't great, but they weren't terrible. And Matt Duchesne showed up to play. And it might, you know, a couple goals late. That's important for them. They needed to have somebody and something to look at to be proud of because in a game like that, that's 7 2, there usually isn't much. Yeah, not a lot of pride. Maybe a little bit is Matt Duchesne in the two goals that he scored as the crowd was chanting Duchesne sucks or something like that. Uh, <laughs> not exactly a revered figure in Denver, but uh, certainly love to see a player like that shine through, especially after the season that he had. Truly the NHL's comeback player of the year, I think, in terms of what he's bounced back from a 40-goal season almost out of the clear blue sky. Mike, there were a number of blowouts on Monday night, including uh, the Minnesota Wild against the St. Louis Blues, the Boston Bruins against the Carolina Hurricanes. And I wanted to ask you about some of their goaltending decisions moving forward. You know, Linus Olmark, I think, was maybe a little bit of a surprise for me. I was thinking that Swayman would be the guy in game one. They go with Olmark, and it seems like Olmark is going to be the guy for game two. Uh, we're still waiting on word from the Minnesota Wild and their morning skate. Will Mark andre Fleury be back in the net for game two? It seems like that is probably the most likely outcome as well. Probably too early to have the Mike Smith discussion, even though that turnover was quite ugly from behind the net. Would you be making a goaltending change for game two tonight for any of these teams? Smith's not going anywhere. It's Mike Smith, ride or die in Edmonton. 
Uh, in Boston, I like giving Allmark a second opportunity to grab a win because I thought he was good in game one. Throw the Trocheck goal from behind the goal line out the window. Okay. It, it can happen. I thought Olmark was really strong and held his team in for a lot of that game. Just like Antiranta, that was a fun goalie game to watch. Um, Swayman wasn't great down the stretch. And I think that's a big reason why Cassidy's leaning towards Olmark, who to me has just been more consistent throughout the year. I'm curious about Minnesota. I think Fleury will start game two. But Frank, I think there's reason to think about it for Dean Evison starting Cam Talbot in this type of scenario. I mean, Fleury lifetime against the Blues, 9-13-2. and two. It's one of his worst teams in that way. There's only two teams that Flurry doesn't have a 500 or better winning record against. One of them's the Minnesota Wild, who he currently plays for, and the other's New Jersey Devils. And I didn't think he looked great in game one. Thought he was oversliding, a little bit over aggressive. And then you flip that to Cam Talbot, who hasn't lost in regulation since March 1st. He's been awesome for that club all year. He's an all-star. Talbot's been a better penalty killer than Fleury this year, statistically speaking, as well. So I would very seriously go and consider going to Cam Talbot in Minnesota, but I'm not sure that's going to happen. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see the decision that Dean Evison makes. I would probably give Flurry another opportunity in game two. This is the guy that you traded for that, um, you know, you felt could help put your team over the top. And I think more than that, you have to go back to Marc-Andre Fleury's previous experiences in Pittsburgh and really kind of how that fell apart, not even just in Pittsburgh, but also in Vegas. The sort of lack mm -hmm. of trust that I think had eroded uh, between Fleury, if we're talking honestly, and the coaching staff in that, you know, Mike Sullivan, Matt Murray was clearly his guy. Then you look at Pete DeBoer and the change to Leonard and the playoffs with Flurry. Um, you know, I feel like you want to make sure that he's fully confident in himself and his game and not looking over his shoulder heading into game two. I don't disagree with you at all. And that's actually, you know, kind of why this one was so intriguing to me, because when I look at all the things in the columns, it tells me the Wild should be playing Talbot. But the intangibles of Flurry. Or, or what give him an edge. And, you know, as a former goaltender, everything you just said, Frank, is true. Like you want to have that trust. But if you get down two games in a series, it can be over pretty quick. So it's a real fine line for head coaches in the NHL to make these decisions. Not easy. So many interesting goalie decisions to make. I'd be fascinated to see what happens with the Penguins crease for game two, as we mentioned as well. Let's get to today's edition of the All 32 delivered by DoorDash. Pleased to welcome back to the Daily Faceoff show, Pat Steinberg, who covers the Calgary Flames for Sportsnet 960, as well as a contributor to Flames Nation. Pat, interesting game one as we chat with you in this conversation delivered by DoorDash. Low scoring affair, and you look at it, the Calgary Flames really seem to be quite comfortable in a one nothing game. What stood out to you when you look back at game one last night? Yeah, that, uh, that's one of the big things is that they just looked so comfortable playing in that style of hockey game, which really shouldn't surprise anybody because they looked that comfortable playing in that style of hockey game all year long. That's kind of the, the recipe for success that Daryl Sutter put in place right from the get-go this year. And what I thought was the most important part of that was the third period because – Dallas had a few chances to tie it in the third period. They did. Rope Hintz missed a, a really good opportunity. Uh, there were a couple of other good chances they had to tie the game. But what I liked the most was that they limited Dallas to three shots in that third period, and they looked 
very comfortable playing in a one nothing game with 20 minutes to go and it's it's not like they panicked it's not like when the game opened up for about two or three minutes there they let it get away on them they got back to their structure they got back to the their belief system and that was a really good game one and it's funny a lot of people on our post game show on on tuesday night afterwards were calling in and texting in and talking about how it, it reminds them of game one three years ago against Colorado where they won. They shut out the Avalanche, and then we all know what happened. The Avs won five in a row. But the difference is that game one in 2019, the Flames were just okay. And Mike Smith was very good in net, posted the shutout, and they scored the four goals. They won 4 nothing, and I think they were feeling really good about themselves. And Maybe like this was going to come easy. But what I liked is that in this instance – it was a tough win. That was a slugfest. They had to stick to their system. They had to make sure that they were consistent because if that if that game got tied 1-1 with how close the final about 45 minutes was, I, that, that could have been our second triple overtime game of the playoffs because that's, that's how close it looked um, after Dallas settled in. The Flames kind of blew them out of the water with the atmosphere and with the crowd in the first 10 or 15 minutes. But from there on in, it settled in. But Flames looked comfortable playing that type of game last night. Pat, it's pretty easy to look at the Flames and think about the offensive prowess that they have, especially with the top line. And I mean, Goudreau playing with Lindholm and Kachuk have looked like the Globetrotters at times this year. And yes, they have depth scoring, but to me, a key of the series is shutting down Dallas's top line of Pavelski, Hintz, and Robertson. They only had two shots on goal last game. You did hint at one that uh, Hintz missed on, but from the Calgary standpoint and line matching especially, who's been tasked with shutting down those top lines of the Dallas Stars? Well, it's funny because we didn't really get a chance to see the game plan play out in game one because the 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 fracas at the end of the first period that saw Rasmus Anderson and John Klingberg booted from the game kind of threw everything in the disarray for Daryl Sutter. So his plan was I, I think you were you, you saw a little bit of Calpy's top line against the Hints line, but it was more of the backland line that saw them. But Daryl is not a big guy when it comes to hard line matching when it comes to his forward lines. Where he likes to go with the hard matches is with his defense pairs. And his number one defense pair is Rasmus Anderson and Noah Hannafin. But Rasmus got kicked out for the secondary fight. So everything got th- so we saw a lot of Noah Hannafin and Eric Branson up against the Dallas top line and a lot of Noah Hannafin and Chris Tanev against the top line. So the ideal, like I, I think what we're going to see as the series goes along is Hannafin and Anderson see a lot of Hintz, Robertson, and Pavelski, but it kind of was uh, an, an all-in type effort on Tuesday night because the original plan didn't get allowed to go to uh, get played out. So I, I, I think you'll see a lot of Anderson and Hannafin against those guys. I still think the back of mine with Mangiapane and Toffoli is going to see lots of them, but I, what I'm really curious about is when this series shifts to Dallas and how Rick Bonus goes about it. Because the only game these two teams played in Dallas this year was back on February 1st. And Rick Bonus aggressively chased the Hintz line versus the Lindholm line. They played like it was almost 11 minutes of 15, five on five minutes. The Lindholm line saw the Hintz, the Hintz line. So Daryl's not as big on chasing those matchups, but Bonus really aggressively went after it when they played in Dallas. Dallas. Now that was you know four months ago, but 
I, I am three months ago, but I'm curious to see if that's the same game plan. But what I think you can be sure of, because I don't think Rasmus Anderson's getting another game misco- misconduct in this series. Uh, I, I would imagine a lot of Anderson and Hannafin going up against the, the Hintz line. And they got better. That Hintz line got better as the game went along. The, the most noticeable guy for me was definitely Pavelski. He, he seemed to be making the most things happen when those three were on the ice. And, Robertson missed by just a little bit on one opportunity. Hints missed by just a little bit on an opportunity. I, I think there's still going to be a handful in this series that goes on. Yeah, no doubt about that. Pat, great insight as usual. You can listen to Pat on Sportsnet 960. Flames talk from 4 to 7 Mountain Time, Monday to Friday. I'll be on with Pat this evening, breaking down Game 1. Game 2 goes on Thursday night. We'll look forward to Pat's coverage then as well. This has been the All-32 delivered by DoorDash. Another full slate of playoff games tonight. You don't want to cook. All your favorites and more delivered right to your door. You see the promo codes there at the bottom of your screen. They get you 25% off and free free delivery on your first order delivered by DoorDash. All right, Mike, time for our daily face-off inbox question of the day. Hashtag ask DFO. Which team that's down or maybe which team that's up most needs a win tonight in game two? You've got a four different options when you look at the matchups here. I think Edmonton needs a win bad. I don't think they want to go to L.A. down two games in that series. And I think Edmonton has to prove to themselves that they can play better five on five against the L.A. Kings. They got a whole bowl full of Andre Kopitar and Philip Deneau last game. They're going to have to be better five on five. They can't just rely on special teams if they're going to get past the Kings. I'm going to say the, I mean, I would love to say the Tampa Bay Lightning, but we all know the Leafs and their history. It's not starting the series well. That's their issue. It's finishing and closing it off. I'm going to say the Boston Bruins going down to nothing against the Carolina Hurricanes, even though they won't have played a home game yet. It's going to be a tough uphill climb for a Carolina team that's really quite consistent and plays pretty hard and with a pretty specific identity. So in full agreement on the Oilers, going down to nothing heading to L.A. is a recipe for disaster. Uh, they need to exercise some of their own playoff demons as well. Let's bring in Tyler Remchuk for our daily face-off daily bets segment. Tyler, how did you do in a host of game ones last night? Bad. Ooh, it was bad. Down. Yeah, two thumbs down. Uh, the Rangers did oh. not come through. I mean, if that goal at the end of the game would have counted... Then you're looking at a scenario where maybe they would have covered the puck line for me with the empty netter. That didn't work. Claude Giroux needed him to get an assist. He scored a goal, so it didn't go too well, but we will look to bounce back tonight just as I have all season. And uh, let's head into it. Let's dig into it. Courtesy of our friends at PointsBet Canada, taking a similar strategy that I did yesterday, but my target team is the Edmonton Oilers. In the last, you know, kind of eight weeks of the season, the Oilers went on a 14-0-1 run on home ice. They were very good at Rogers place to close out the season. Mike, you talked about their need to be better at five on five. That's actually one of the th- areas they've been best since Jay Woodcroft took over. They've been a very good five on five team down the stretch. I think the Oilers will bounce back tonight. They were three and one versus the LA Kings in the regular season. And I just can't see them dropping a second straight game to start the playoffs. So I'm going one unit Oilers regulation paying minus 125, half a unit Oilers puck line paying out a pretty juicy plus 130. And for my player prop tonight, I am going into the Bruins and Canes matchup, and I'm looking at Patrice Bergeron. You know, player props are kind of a bit of a crapshoot at this point in the playoffs. 
But I like the payout here on the Bergeron prop, plus 180. This is a guy who hit it three straight times to close out the regular season. And while he didn't pick up an assist in the series opener against the Canes, a big reason why might have been that the Bruins' power play went 0 for 3. I like the Bruins' power play to bounce back. Bergeron is a big part of that. And I think they can get the offense going. Plus 180 is a pretty juicy payout. But I like it as I try to make up for the losses from last night. So Oilers. Regulation, half a unit puck line, Bergeron Apple, and that is the night, Frank. Yeah, we got a little Saravalli special going today on mm. Points Bet Canada as well. Uh, I'm with you. I'm riding Oilers in regulation, and we're going to parlay that with Mitch Marner to add an assist for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So check out the odds on Points Bet Canada as well. Mike, that brings us to garbage time. And there were some really interesting scenarios and also some comments from John Klingberg uh, after his scrum there, a little tussle with Rasmus Anderson. What would you make of the whole thing? Well, a little bit old school. And what I think to me matters is that this was a silly ejection. But by the rules, it had to happen. It was a secondary altercation after it already been won. And what these rules prevent are big bench clearing brawls from happening, melees on the ice. But Frank, we don't see those anymore. Like, I think we're past that. I thought it was silly for these two guys to be ejected from the game. And there was a little bit of consternation afterwards, eh, Frank? Like, these guys were jawing a bit in the postgame scrums. Yeah, it's kind of like you pointing that sword at me right now or that lightsaber. I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, where is like, where's John Klingberg coming from here? Does he know who he's talking about in Rasmus Anderson? Like Anderson is one tough customer. Like he's one guy I don't have any interest in messing with. And if I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong here. I've never looked at John Klingberg as someone that's overly tough or is going to get in your grill so like what what's happening here what like what is he doing well dude think about it we had two the two top defensemen right-handed top defensemen for both teams engage in a fight they're both swedish and anderson's built like a fire hydrant like he's thick man and and clinger man dude i i don't know what he's thinking hopping in a fight but i love the fact that he did that he got engaged and Klingberg's saying, we're going to come after him. Anderson's not as tough as he's acting tougher than he is. You know, I, I just love the gamesmanship here. And, and I like that. Remember back, John Klingberg was on the trading block, man, wanted to be moved out of town. Like he's an integral part of that Dallas team still. I love that he was in the mix. I just think it's silly. They both get tossed for this. I'd like to see the rule changed. Yeah, I'm with you. I also, I guess, old school. I, I like the, trust me, I'm all for the drama. I just don't know that John Klingberg knows what he's doing and poking this bear with Rasmus Anderson. Um, hey, maybe there's something I don't know about this going on behind the scenes, but you said Rasmus Anderson is built like a fire hydrant. I mean, I, I that's one guy I don't have any interest in tangling with. So more power to you, John Klingberg. We'll see how that plays out in game two on Thursday night. That is going to be a wrap for today's Daily Faceoff show, a playoff edition. Thanks to Tyler Uremchuk. Thanks to Mike McKenna, as well as Pat Steinberg and our technical producer, Alex Allard. May 4th, may the 4th be with you. The, we'll be back on Thursday for another edition of the Daily Faceoff show, 12 noon Eastern. You know where to find us. Until then, enjoy day three of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Thanks for watching the Daily Faceoff show. Make sure you hit subscribe on our YouTube channel to never miss an episode.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.